This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I'm not joined by Mawera Karatai today, who is at the last of the Meet the Candidate events in the Bay of Plenty, but I am joined by Gretchen Robertson. Kia ora, Gretchen. Kia ora. Thanks heaps for having me. That's all right. Where are you, Gretchen? Um, At the moment, I'm actually in my 12-year-old son's bedroom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a home office set up, but he's letting me use his desk. So we've been asking people how their bubble life was, and then it turned into asking people how their traffic light life was, and both of those are now history, but we're asking them anyway, how was your bubble life? Yeah, overall it was great. Um, I think it started off for everyone. We couldn't believe our luck that we had this (laughs) beautiful holiday. It was sunny in Dunedin, and everyone got out uh, out and about walking with their families or uh, just relaxed for a while, trying to take it all in. So, um, yeah, we... We, we were unaccustomed to the government telling us to stay home from work before, so that was all new and pretty cool. But, yeah, as we sort of got our heads around it, we started to think, hmm, what does this mean? And, yeah, the reality sort of started to kick in. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, in our family that was really challenging for the kids initially. Just, you know, they're old enough to miss their friends and... Um, Yeah, that was um, different. So, um, yeah, after a while, we kind of realised that um, one big holiday isn't really what we needed. And, yeah, we got into a good routine and um, then it started to look up. Yeah, it was good. Were you working during the the first lockdowns? Yes. So the regional council was still um, going at that point, doing its usual business. So, yeah. Um, it's hard to remember that we had never actually had meetings um, online until that time. So we switched into that mode and, um, yeah, that took a bit for many people to get their heads around. But it was um, good to be able to do that and find that councils could operate really well, especially for one as big as ours. We have councils coming from Queenstown, driving down. that They don't need to be doing that. And we can actually function fine online. Um at times. So yeah, that was good. Yep. Did you find that the the debate, the, the, the decision making was approximately equal? Uh, I found that it was more equal because um, people waited for their turn to speak. They spoke on the topic and they spoke um, with clarity on the things that were important. And then the next person had their turn. So I felt that uh, everyone had more 
of a chance. It was more equal than when you're in a room sometimes. Yeah, there's dominant personalities. So, yeah, I found that overall it was actually quite a useful tool. Yep. Has that improved discussion continued even though you're back to face to face or when you went back to face to face? Um uh, well I think um the regional councils had some issues, I guess, so that's not a, <laughs> a <laughs> hidden thing. So um yeah, I guess probably not. People um yeah, haven't um, been as respectful, I suppose, of other people's views and um, open to uh, hearing from other people. So, yeah, I think it has changed a little bit. But, I mean, being face-to-face is good too, and sometimes you do have to confront issues, I guess, in person. So, um, yeah, there's pros and cons of online. And with the, the staff as well, they were online as well, mostly and giving reports and things online and all all of that was all of that came together yeah um reports from staff are that actually they got together um, met far more often and met with um, a broader range of staff from other um directorates so um yeah and there were even at times whole of organization meetings whereas no one had thought to do them before because there just isn't a room at the ORC that's big enough to cater for all the staff at once um so yeah that can happen on zoom and it did and um there was a lot of collegiality and cooking competitions and all sorts (laughs) of things sparked up that wouldn't otherwise so yeah that was pretty nice to see happening Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Ash Grunwald, River. Why this one? Um, yeah, I'm a freshwater ecologist, but um, I love the song. It's gritty, it's bluesy, it's Australian, but we won't hold that against it. Um, and it's talking about everyone being equal when it comes to the environment. It says one people, one planet, one circumstance. Um, it's that everyone lives downstream when we're talking about a rubber, so we need to think about other people and impacts. And then it talks about activism and um, calling you a radical, calling you a terrorist, calling you an activist because you want your drinking water clean. And uh, yeah, that's something to think about as well. Everybody live 
like that line about everybody live downstream i have long thought that that would be a a pretty good base policy for the regional council to have if that was your starting point yeah we're all equal aren't we doesn't matter if you're a councillor or living in town or if we are all downstream (laughs) and then um ultimately excuse me when we're at the um ocean as well yeah everyone's impacted somewhere i think it's sweden that has actually got a law that that says if you're going to put anything back into a river you have to take your water supply from downstream of your discharge gosh <laughs> i haven't heard that one but it's pretty amazing a great i, I like great that as a, thought isn't it i yeah. like that as an as an idea so yeah. in your candidate statement in the surprisingly thick book that we got yours <laughs> starts almost with a poem it's almost poetical. Our environment is at the heart of Otago. Our diversity is our strength. Our environment is our common heart. That's right, yeah. I, get, well, I hadn't thought of it as a poem, but I guess it is. And, um, yeah, it's really important, really important um, to me, the environment. And I do think that when we really have a hard think about it, it is at our heart. And coming back to um, lockdown and what we experienced there, I think everyone in trying to get their heads around, you know, what is this? What's this new world? Where do I fit? Um, How does it make sense? We did all go outside, like I said, 
We all tried to connect with nature. However that might be, if it's just a walk around the neighbourhood and gosh, that tree's looking beautiful at the moment or, um, oh wow, there's mushrooms growing here I hadn't seen before or wow, the birds are really loud. Um, I think everyone, yeah, just um, realised that that's really important. Sometimes we forget that, we get busy in our lives. Um, in Otago, I think everyone's very proud of our province. Why would you not be? <laughs> we've got the Alps, we've got amazing coastline. Dunedin's beaches, wow, they're world class. And for people not to feel connected to the environment, I, I find that impossible to believe where we live. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I do quite like poetry, so yeah. I hadn't thought of it you, that way. <laughs> do you think there's a disconnect between that, that people, where people are, the, their sense of place and their caring for that sense of place and the tools that you have available to you as regional councillors, which are quite abstract kind of policy statements and principles and things? Would it, would it help if somehow that connection was stronger? Definitely, yeah. I think in the past we were actually a bit stronger in connecting with community. Uh, then we went through a phase where um, I actually voted, I was the only counter that voted against this, but there was a vote to stick to our core business, which meant a lot of disconnect from community. And yeah, a lot of stuff like that, what, that you just talked about in terms of um digging into policy, um, creating new policy, uh, regulatory as well, you know, getting out there and um, checking if people were doing the right thing, but actually connecting with people in a way that was going to really get, what you know, at hearts and minds and, um, yeah, make a sustainable difference. That means, because you can tell people what to do, sure. You can write a policy, you can um, get your compliance officers out, but unless people actually want to change and um, feel the responsibility of why they would want it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen long-term anyway. So, yeah, there's definitely a place for the council to do that. Um, rates have increased, as people will have noticed, and that was a deliberate move, actually, to um, employ a lot more staff with those types of skills. So the non-regulatory stuff, which is a boring word, but it means doing the things um, that aren't to do with uh, roles or plans, getting out there with community, listening, uh, doing the projects that will make a difference on the ground, investing in them, that sort of thing. So, yeah... Um, I feel that there's a bit of a groundswell as well of people wanting to do that work. And actually the council's been quite a long way behind its community in terms of their values too. So, yep, definitely. Do you have a go-to definition of sustainability? Oh, it's quite difficult. But um, sustainability is... Hmm, well, it's more of a picture, I think, in pictures. <laughs> but I'm, I can see that it's... A world, it's not about money, it's not about increasing productivity endlessly. Um, it's about not just people, actually, as well. It's about um, ensuring that our ecosystems are thriving. Uh, and it's about having um, not just even our grandchildren, but long beyond that, people that are healthy and happy and um, 
yeah, living in a world where they can sustain themselves, but not at the expense of other ecosystems as well. So, yeah, I don't have a real go-to definition. It's a picture. If we go to the pillars model of sustainability, which I wrote a book about why you shouldn't, but let's do that. Yep. For, for, for the meantime, the beauty of that was it put the environment and society and the economy onto the same page. Yeah. And the thing that people, everybody, everybody misses is that sustainability is the bit in the middle. So it doesn't make sense to talk about environmental sustainability separated from from society. Is the, the remit of the regional council wide enough to allow you to have that more holistic view? Uh, no. Yeah, that's right. It is. It definitely is. Um, and it's coming through more and more, like right down to the nuts and bolts. Um, the new, well, no, it's not new, but the national policy statement on fresh water with um, Tamana or Tewai, uh, and the placement that it puts of water for its intrinsic value, essentially. First, its ability to sustain life ahead of human use and about so drinking water and things like that and then ahead of um, next after that third down the list is um, economics and you can think of that as a priority or you can think of it as actually if you don't have healthy water you can't have healthy people in drinking water and you can't have a brilliant economy either so they're kind of even as well but yes no there are definitely is a remit for regional council to be thinking about that the holistic um, view of sustainability and economics as well actually how well are we doing in otago in terms of our fresh water you can wear any of your hats for answering that question yeah um we aren't doing very well I was reading a paper today which was looking at our state of environment reporting over the last, or oh, since about, since the 90s anyway, right through till 21, I think it was, 20 actually. So about 30 years and we haven't done anything. So <laughs> there's a few fluctuations in different um, rivers, but overall we haven't made an improvement. So that's not that brilliant, given that in the past we had um, discharges straight to rivers, so from dairying, uh, from sewerage, from uh, industry. You know, since the RMA, things got a lot tighter, and as consents came up for renewal, we managed to get rid of nearly all of those things, in fact, all of those things, and yet we haven't made an improvement. So... Yeah, when we currently haven't been effective enough as a country with our um, roles and enforcing those. So, yeah, there's a lot to do. In terms of that river freshwater um, quality, if you could wave a magic wand mm-hmm. make things better, what would you have happen? Yeah, there's a right the tree saying, isn't it? Uh, right plant, right place. Um, same thing with our land use. So waving a magic wand, it's not a simple fix, but there's some places where certain land uses aren't working. So things that have um, really intensive discharge or um, even non-point like intensive farming on top of um, gravelly aquifers, 
doesn't make sense. So that would be a stocking rate type of scenario. After you'd fixed all of the simple things like um, ensuring that you had proper storage ponds on dairy and things like that. So yeah, at times intensity is a problem. Uh, other times it is um, setting back from the stream far enough, so stock are not getting right to the river's edge. Yeah, there's fencing for um, a lot of stock already, but are those fences back enough? And um, what's the riparian zone looking like? Those type of questions. So, um yeah, it isn't actually a simple fix. It depends on um, your soil type, your slope, and um, what type of land use you're trying to put on top of that environment. Yep. But we've known it that for a, yeah, yeah yeah we've known we've known that for a really long time. Yeah. Yes. What's the what's the barrier? Why aren't we fixing it? Yeah, that's a really hard question, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> Why are we not fixing it? That's very complex, I think. Um, I think that we're starting to get there, actually, with the um, way we're going with the national policy statement at the moment and a bit of support for councils nationally as well. So um, the rules will, will be a bit tighter and it won't be business as usual with the next generation of plans. That's going to be quite scary, I think, for a lot of people because change is never easy. But it's exciting in a way as well. I think that we can actually make some progress. Um, and I think we've got the knowledge now as well. When I first started out working um, as a scientist, we were still gathering data to understand the environment. Um, we're doing a lot of that. Then we wrote some plans and we understood that actually they didn't work all that well. <laughs> and now we've got really good knowledge on what will work. And we've got the ability to rewrite those plans. And I think that um, the pressure's there now as well from the community. They've got up to speed as well with understanding the issues. There's a lot more involvement and interest. We had pretty much zero interest in what the regional council did when I first started on the council. Now we've got a lot more interest. That's far more healthy, I think. Uh, people want to be involved. They want to have a say on their environment. And they have had a good think about what's actually really important to them and what sustainability means, um, what makes them happy. And, yeah, together it's coming, it is coming together. I think I see it positively. Some people think the environment's <laughs> sort of going to end. So, you know, there's a terrible calamity happening at the moment. But sometimes I think it takes a bit of conflict and a bit of... Um, yeah, of unease. Get to that real next step, and I think we're on the cusp of that. I hope so, anyway. The council's been pretty fractious recently, over the last term and, and perhaps longer. How do you maintain that positive mindset that you were just talking about? Um, I guess I do have training as a scientist, which is one thing, so I like to stick to the facts, and you can't really... Um, debate you know you can't win a debate when you're just sticking to the fact well you're not sticking to the facts you do win if you're sticking to the facts um so that's okay but yeah i also um stopped being a scientist to become a facilitator because i found that um 
to really make a difference. Working with people is important. So I've worked with all sorts of people during um, my career. And I've found when people do get agitated or angry, they're often scared. <laughs> they are often worried about change or worried about um, the unknown. And yeah, if we work together and keep our mind on what the long game is, what the actual um, objective that we're trying to get to, we will get there. Uh, we just need to, yeah, work together <laughs> and stick to fact. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, I hope you're all having this day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all the last two and a half years have been very challenging. We've had to learn so many new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling. And this learning process has been very trying, very tiring. It's so important for us all that we extend that empathy, that compassion to ourselves and one another. Acknowledge everything that we've been through. And of course, so much of what we go through, we may not process at the time. And I think for all of us, we've been really running on adrenaline. And now that things are gradually returning to that consensus reality we enjoyed for so long. Pre-COVID, many people are experiencing speed wobbles and experiencing the weight of all those changes finally being here to process. So as much as possible, it's so important that we're kind to ourselves and each other and really take the time to give ourselves and each other the support that we need. So I really hope for you, you're getting the support. I really hope for you, you're finding ways of finding that sense of hope and connection, love in the world around you. And of course, as we know, we are co-evolving with all life and an infinite web. And this is a great reassuring sense of connection that I find with the living world. That of course we are related to all life and we are the children, we are the portahi, we are the young ones on this earth. And all those other life forms that surround us have been here for so long and really making this place ready for us to arrive which is so kind so we can feel that sense of support from them which is wonderful there's also a great sense of gratitude to be found that we are able to live our lives that we are able to experience this great sensual feast 
that is our lived experience. And as I talk to you now, I can hear beautiful birds singing outside my window. And it's wonderful to think that, of course, all these lies that have come before mine have been serenaded too by these beautiful, beautiful birds. And the lives that will come after mine will be too. It's also wonderful to think that we can do so much to care for the world around us, that inner nurturer always has the opportunity to come forward. How wonderful we can encourage it and really give it time and space to shine each day. So I really hope for you, whatever's happening around you, you're having the opportunity to really tune in and feel that sense of love and support coming from the world around you. That you're having the opportunity to tune in and sense all the skills and talents that you have to contribute to this wider web of life. And you're having the opportunity to tune in and feel that inner nurture come forward. It's such a pleasure. Of course, being part of this show is a wonderful gift. I'm so grateful to Sam and the whole Brain Bubbles team, all of you, for having me. I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Gretchen Robertson. Gretchen, what are the plans for the, the next three years? Ah, yes. Well, I'm standing for the Regional Council um, and hoping that I'll be successful there. And then if I am, then um, I'm, as I said, pretty excited about where we're heading. It's going to be tough, but we've got some, um, yeah, we've got a lot of community uh, support for getting in there and making a difference for the environment. Uh, we've got some buses to sort out. <laughs> we've got, um, what else? We've got, as well as a water plan on the horizon, we've got air and coast. So, gosh, just when you thought you'd got water <laughs> done, you've some other major ones coming up as well. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I've been chair of policy committee for the last three triennium and resource science for two before that. So, um I'm really looking forward to um, getting into it. What are the big questions that that that's going to pose for for the council? Um, yeah, we've talked about water, haven't we? So, um, yeah, I think big questions for the council still on that that I haven't mentioned. Um, we often hear about rural water quality, but urban is gigantic as well and the worst water quality still is in cities and it's often caused by um, stormwater so that's a huge problem Uh, and treating everyone fairly across the region to ensure everyone can access fresh water everyone loves downstream Um, we're going to need to invest and I don't want to get into whether you know three waters is a brilliant idea that's just a tool really and um the key issue is that we've got big problems to sort out. Uh, Regional Council will be a regulator there and write some rules. Uh, air as well, we've got some problems with water quality in a number of towns across um, Otago. 
uh, particularly in central Otago, but also Milton. Um, and yeah, so getting on top of that and just deciding whether or not wood burners in any shape or form are good for the future. Uh, that's a tough one in Otago because, you know, we need to have resilience and to be warm and to have equitable ways of heating our home as well, homes as well. So, yeah, that's one's going to take a lot of conversation with communities. I was on the first water plan, uh, not water plan, air plan um, panel and went around Otago listening to 800, I think, submitters talking about their fires. And gosh, people are very passionate about fire in Otago. So, yeah, I have under no illusions that that one's going to be crucial. Um, buses, yeah, we've got that discussion on who's the best um, council to be in charge of buses. And yeah, I think, well, from my perspective, why would you not have both councils in the room offering um, expertise? Both can pull strings. Um, DCC, certainly in terms of uh, rules to do with parking, revenue from parking and reinvesting that into public transport. So yeah, I don't see that as a one or the other. It's a whichever one it is, we need to work closer together. Uh, in the interim, I think it should be the ORC, actually, uh, yeah, until we have yeah, more of an understanding of um, how it should run, yep. And, yeah, and then the coast plan as well. Um, the coast something that's very important to me as well. Um, grew up in a family. Actually, we <laughs> lived in a combi van for a while um, off the land entirely um, when I was a preschooler with my mum and dad dad dived for our food and we just traveled from beach to beach and seeing the difference as well in our cost over time it's certainly changed a lot over the years um, and not for better so yeah it's equally uh, big challenged as fresh water is I'm going to ask about the buses because you mentioned it first yeah and it's it's good to recognize that the solution probably isn't with which council manages it. But do we need some kind of system change? Has there got to be some sort of threshold, something happening to fix the state that we're in at the moment? Um, I'm writing. Yeah, on, I'm right. I'm talking as somebody whose bus gets cancelled more often than yeah, not. Yeah, and that's not. And good I, I complain to my colleague Alexa all the time. That would really, really annoy you, yeah, and everyone actually in Dunedin because um, without a reliable bus, um, you haven't got a system really, have you, because um, you either use the buses or you plan something else and it's quite um, tempting to plan something else and that's not what we want. Uh, and a lot of people don't have that chance either and they're just left stranded, which is also not good. So, um yeah, the, uh, I've heard different um, opinions on whether or not the solution is just um, with the bus drivers and whether or not um, there's a shortage of bus drivers or whether it's paying more. But in my opinion, it's certainly paying more. Um, it just makes no sense that people would want to work for pretty much minimum wage um, when they could go get a job driving a truck or something else um, and be paid a lot more. So, yeah, that's definitely part of the equation. Um, that comes down to contract negotiations with the um, 
bus owners, but there's no reason why that shouldn't be happening earlier than at the contract renewal phase when we're all suffering. It has to, there's no excuse. Yeah. So there's that. But then there's a whole range of other issues as well. Um, when we gather data, which we haven't been able to do in the past, on who's getting on and off the buses and where, then we can get a better sense of where we should put buses as well to meet demand. Uh, we didn't have that information before. So, um, yeah, without electronic ticketing, that was not possible really. Uh, uh, yeah, we're thinking, well, we're, yeah, we're going to be putting um, the electronic boards up at um, strategic bus stops so people can see when buses are coming or not coming as well. So that would be really useful. doesn't get away from the fact that they need to be running on time. So that's there. Um, but I think as well, we need to have a really good hard think about what people actually want from their bus um, service. We need to think outside the box, what's going to be fun, what's going to be for the future, why would I want to jump on that bus? Because um, there's a big barrier for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that just have never done it <laughs> or just have a certain stigma about getting on the bus. So what's really going to get those people on there? And marketing as well. I don't think we've done a very good job of marketing the buses to date. Modern marketing approach would be very different to what the Regional Council has been doing. So, um, yes, those are some of the things. Um, we've taught thinking as well about on-demand, smaller buses on-demand. So that's happening in Timaru. So, yeah, a lot of people say, oh, why have the big buses going around all the time? Uh, I mean, that's, they have to, really, to meet um, peak times on that route. You need a big bus. You don't need a big bus all day, but you can't go back to depot and swap over for a smaller bus. So there's that. But for places where there might be a few people, but not enough for a regular bus service, um, the on-demand, hey, I want a bus, can you come to my neighbourhood now and get me? And yes, that could happen. Why not? And then, yeah, Queenstown is a different scenario altogether and is going to have to have entire infrastructure changes, I think. People aren't going to jump on that bus until it can actually get through the traffic. Yeah. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Sting, Love is the Seventh Wave. Why this one? Um, usually I'm not a massive fan of pop music, but I've just always loved the song. It gives you that beautiful, calm feeling as soon as you hear it. Um, I love how it's lovely and calm, and then the drums kick in, and it feels like waves pounding. And um, I've always had a big connection to the sea, the Ki Uta Kitai, the mountains to the sea. Sting wrote this song as he was watching surfers, I think, in Barbados. And um, yeah, I've got a big connection to the surfing and ocean, I guess. Yeah. Deeper world than this, tugging at your hand. 
Gretchen, I have some questions to end the show. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? A, yeah, success is a funny um, thing, but um, I guess during lockdown, I did get back into painting. So I hadn't been doing art for a really long time. And um, yeah, I got back into it. And a gallery in Kakanui said, oh, you know, exhibit your paintings. And since then, I've sold lots of paintings and um, prints. And yeah, no, I think that's a huge success just to have lived my life and not, you know, been able to explore the art side of it because I chose science rather than art, which was a difficult choice. Yeah, it would have been sad. So I feel that's good at success. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? I think my superpower is being able to work with all types of people and relate to them. I think I've got quite a bit of empathy, quite a diverse background myself, and um, I don't judge people. I, um, yeah, look at final outcomes um, rather than judging people I think that's probably the thing that I can do 
even the people who think that development can only be done with a bulldozer? Um, yeah, I have had to deal with a number of those people, actually, and with some of them, well, actually pretty much all that I've worked with have managed to turn that around if you really listen to why they're doing that and what their motivations are. You can turn it around because, yeah, people don't deliberately want to destroy things usually. Um, They might be doing it to get revenge or something like that, but, yeah, usually you can turn it around. The song we started with, Ash Gronwald, almost accused people of being an activist and as a radical. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? (laughs) I was thinking about that when I was um, choosing that song and... um, how I have been labelled an activist in the past. Um, I was initially involved um, with a group called Protect Our Oceans in Dunedin. Um, Mark Schellenberg was in that with me and some other people from around town who were consultants or whatever, lawyers these days. Um, we pushed for tertiary treatment of the sewerage in Dunedin. Um, we were often in the newspaper. We went through a fully legitimate process um, of being involved in the hearing and then in mediation. Uh, we did that really professionally, I thought, um, being part of that public process, but were labelled activists. And I was thinking about that as well and just coming through the university system. I was thinking about Mark Schellenberg, who's a, <laughs> yeah, he's a fairly well-known um, ecologist in the university. And um, what an inspiration he was for me because when we were, well, when I was starting out as a scientist in the 90s, Um, Universities were really keen on um, pure science. They hated applied science. I remember having to go to some really weird little building in the humanities department to ask whether I was allowed for my honours thesis to do one on the impacts of logging on stream invertebrates. And that was out there. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That was very applied. Um, So, yeah, people like Mark spoke out about facts about the environment and the real environment going on in Otago at the moment. That was big news. It's very brave. Um, So, yeah, activists, often when you're talking about the environment and you're talking about facts, you are labelled activists. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. Mm. I worked at the Regional Council in the early 90s, and it was a time when the protected natural area work was, was going on. And so all of my friends, I was a botany student at the time, botany and geography student at the time, so all of my friends were on the going and doing the, the surveys at the top of the mountains, and I was trying to get to talk to farmers at the bottom of the mountains. And I basically, if they knew I was associated with this botany crowd going around the top of the mountains, they didn't want to know me. Yeah. It was, it was a strange time. was. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, yeah, I'm a really determined person. <laughs> My grandmother used to call me a survivor from a very early age. Um, I never take things for granted. So, yeah, I um, feel like I want to stand up for issues. So I feel motivated on those things, um, particularly for people that, don't can't stand up for themselves or um, don't have the skills to do that. Um, yeah, everybody lives downstream and everyone's the same. And um, yeah, I feel motivated to do what I feel is right um, for 
for people and yeah what we were talking about earlier in terms of what does a sustainable future look like for everyone and yeah grandkids and others into the future as well all equity for them as well I'm not all that driven by benefit towards myself one of the things that we've talked about quite a lot over the years on this show but on sustainable lens as well is that we don't explicitly have people from seven generations into the future sitting around the council table. And if we try and model it, then we end up applying discount um, equations, which basically means they don't count. Yeah, yeah. We often don't have people from... um, (laughs) Well, we have people on councils who are from a certain generation as well, and it's often um, towards the end of a career... And the way that you're looking at the environment is very different from somebody who's at the beginning of their career. Uh, and I was thinking that even myself, I'm in my early 40s, so I'm quite young for a politician. But even my view is different to when I was um, 20 and the whole world is stretched out ahead of you still. Um and what you're planning for in terms of making a real difference, you'll see in your lifetime, you, that's the way you see it anyway, <laughs> and you're really driven, uh, and you really want to make a difference, and you can see the things that will, uh, no matter how hard they are. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right in terms of how can we uh, how can we account for those generations into the future and foresee what it will be like for them, but even how do we account for the generations we have got here <laughs> in terms of equity and decision-making, yeah. Maybe I know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. What's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next couple of years? I'd like to see people of Otago speaking up for what's really important. That would be a challenge, not just for me as a councillor in terms of making sure that that happens, but also to anyone that's listening. Um or thinking about getting involved. Um, Yeah, we're one people, one planet, one circumstance in the song that we spoke about before. We do need to get involved, and I think now is the time to stand up and talk about what is really important. Um, We had our investment bankers come and talk to us at the council, and they just managed to come back from a conference in London because obviously we're talking about bubbles as well. People haven't had that chance until recently. And, yeah, they were saying that basically all the talk in the investment banking world was around climate change and the huge impacts that that actually will have. That's the biggest issue that that world, their eyes are open to that. We're seeing it now, you know. It's true, it's real. Um, so now it's time to, to speak up. Uh, and decision makers like regional councils, I think, think have really tough decisions to make and they need our communities to um, be part of that with us yeah and there's some good advice in there but my last question is on advice so I'm going to ask that one do you have any advice for our listeners yeah yeah I guess probably um, at the moment it is we're, we're talking about being positive as well and coming out of our bubbles into a new world um, I think there were a lot of challenges as well uh, that we reflected on when we were in our bubbles. Is the world changed forever? You know, um, how's the environment doing? You know, we're connected with nature and um, 
some things are really challenging that we've talked about as well on this show. Climate, for example, what is the future going to hold? How will our grandkids experience their world? Uh, and then, um, yeah, I guess there was a lot of um, challenges as well to institutions going on, um, to governments, to all over the world. Oh, was society breaking down as well? You were thinking that. And, I, you know, you could you could feel a bit depressed about things, but I think you could think as well that with every conflict and major upheaval like this as well, you sometimes see a real positive um, change as well. Uh, so I think that's important to grasp on too. We could, we, I think we're actually on the brink of a huge positive step forward in realisation about what is important to us. Um, and how we need to be into the future and it's going to be different from how we are now but that's okay uh, we do evolve over time don't we each century is very different to the one before it's not something fear uh, and we can be part of that positive change that's great advice Gretchen thank you very much for joining me thank you very much great to chat Up and battered around, been sent up and I've been shot down. You're the best thing that I've ever found. Handle me with her. Reputations changeable, situations tolerable. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, which is itself brought to you by T.P. Kenga. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is the Travelling Wilburys, and we with Anne. I'm Samuel Hamill, Swears Dayton and I have been joined by Gretchen Robertson. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Wild. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.